So it used to be uh, just a few names and, uh, um, and then it turned into everybody, you know, while they play two hit songs and, you know, 10,000 names scroll and I have no complaint or argument against it, but you know, you look at a building and you think, well, you know, there's thousand people worked on that thing. Where are their names? You know, that's a pretty amazing thing. You get on an airplane. That's, I mean, I've seen some great movies, but no movie as amazing as an airplane, except maybe a Tom Cruise movie. Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have an old dear friend, a little bit different episode today. I have a gentleman here who has been out in Hollywood doing Hollywood things. He's a first assistant director. He's a mercenary. He's ready for hire. He works for Cheswick Films. His name is Brian O'Sullivan. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm quite thrilled and honored to be here. I almost called you Brian Cheswick. Isn't that funny? Uh, there are many people that would uh, uh, that would uh, know who you're talking about. I think uh, Cheswick was a college nickname, and uh, 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 there was one girl who thought my name was Cheswick. Uh, Brian didn't really fly all that much in, in college. It was Cheswick. Cheswick, isn't that hysterical? Where does that nickname come from for our listeners? It's a character from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One morning, I showed up late to a philanthropic endeavor we were raking leaves to make money for whatever cause or purpose and uh, uh i uh i was up late the night before and i found my way to the yard a little bit late and everybody had a rake but me and i made the joke having seen the movie the night before with these fellas uh there's a scene where chesek doesn't want your cigarettes or his cigarettes or her cigarettes i want my cigarettes nurse ratchet my cigarettes so i applied that to i want my rake ron grasso my rake and uh, a fellow named john kelleher who i nicknamed helen called me cheswick and it just stuck and so did helen and so did helen my sister refers to john as helen which i find hysterical what does a first assistant director actually do well, the nutshell answer is uh, the first assistant director or first AD, or sometimes we just call it the AD, uh, is primarily in charge of scheduling a film or video shoot. To explain that in more detail, you know, I, I work primarily on feature films. Uh, I've done commercials and music videos and interstitial stuff and industrials and a little bit of everything. But of the 200 plus projects I've worked on, uh, I'd say... 70% feature films. So you got a script, 150, 200 scenes. You don't shoot scene one first. You shoot all of the kitchen scenes and maybe the backyard scenes. And then you go up to the bedroom and shoot those scenes. And then you'd shoot the grocery store scenes and the police station scenes. And you would make no sense to go back and forth and back and forth. Now, that's the base explanation it gets way more detailed than that if you'd like to hear about it i would love to and i believe 
our listeners would love to also, does that also include scouting and finding those locations? Yeah. Yeah. So to put a little more nuance on the first answer and answer your second question, scheduling a film is like putting together a wet jigsaw puzzle. The pieces just keep changing shape. And it can be, you know, like I said, you want to shoot all the living room scenes first, and then you want to shoot your day stuff before your night stuff. And then you've got an actor who's only going to be there for nine days. So you got to get him or her in and out. And uh, the art department doesn't want to shoot their builds, you know, the sound stages first because they've got to hurry and build it. It takes time to do that stuff. Locations can't shoot a church on a Sunday, depending on the month of the year, you can't shoot a school on a weekday and you're never getting a bar and restaurant on a Friday or Saturday night. You're just never going to, they're never going to give it to you. So it's all of those things. And it's like a multi-layered Tetris game of trying to make all the pieces fit. And, and then there's union rules. You, you, you've got to turn the crew and the cast over, you know, you get a certain number of hours overnight or over a weekend and it goes on and on and on. Uh, so it gets pretty complicated. Now, during the pre-production period, uh, locations, that's one of our primary jobs. It's usually the assistant director, uh, director, cinematographer, also known as a director of photographer or DP, and then the production designer and or art director um, and, and, and producers. And so that lot of people led by the location department will look for locations and it can be tough, you know, there's budgetary concerns and there's availability and you need it on a Wednesday night and they don't want to give it to you on Wednesday night. And the production designer doesn't quite like it. And the DP's like, no white walls. And then the producer's like, well, if we paint this place, we got to paint it back and that's too expensive. And so it's just on and on and on. And it's just, uh, you hear the ticking clock coming and you got to choose a place. But the short answer is, yeah. During our prep period, we're looking for locations. That's one of our main jobs. So how challenging can that be when you're coming together with all of these other personalities and hoping to come to an agreement in a timely manner? I mean, is there a lot of conceding and, you know, negotiation? Yeah, there's a lot. And, uh, you know, it's just the nature of the business. It, it's everybody there. You know, my, my job is mostly logistics, although, you know, I'm I'm surrounded by and I I'm, I'm the assistant director. I, 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 I add my creative input quite often. Uh, sometimes it's accepted. Sometimes it's not. So uh, there's me. But then you have a production designer who's an artist. And then you have a cinematographer who's an artist. Then you have a director who's an artist. And sometimes a producer can also have that sort of artistic input or concern. And um, uh, folks, I don't know if you guys have ever gone into business with artists before, but it's a lot different than going into business with MBAs. It's a lot different. There are emotions. And I'll tell you something, and forgive me if any of my coworkers are listening, but the film industry is filled with children who never grew up. I mean, what we do is we play house for a living. It's what we do. We pretend, you know, not just the actors, but all of us. And it's, there's a desire that's not always pragmatic, practical, financial. It's just something in, in the, you know, forgive me for sounding this way, but in the artist's blood, you know, you couldn't tell not to compare us to Picasso, but you couldn't tell Picasso to use a different color because it costs less, you know? And so that happens a lot. So there's that. The dreamers. As the dreamers. 
Now, as I explained earlier, with all of these variables constantly changing and you're trying to fit a three-dimensional puzzle with, you know, uh, like I said, actor schedules, location availability, design factors, just pragmatic times of day. You can't shoot some things. You can't shoot night exteriors during the day. I suppose you could, but it doesn't look good anymore. It, it doesn't always work out. So there has to be compromise. Now multiply that angst with the emotional factor of these artists. And that's sort of what that's sort of describing the prep period of a movie. Well, who's who's the hammer that comes in and says, it's not in the budget? Is that you? Are you part of that team that says, hey, Dreamer, I love the idea. However, our budget doesn't work there. So those people that I described earlier, the uh, the artists, so to speak, I'm with them often. But then there's this other branch, and that includes a unit production manager who's basically in charge of hiring, firing, renting, and purchasing. Then there's a line producer. The line producer is all about the budget, just keeping an eye on where the dollars are going. And then there's a producer who has the final say and wants to make the best movie that he or she can. However, that's not always the concern of a producer. Some producers just want to get it in under budget and you know show the financiers that they could do that. And, and so there's that thing too. But those people, production manager, line producer, and producers, they tend to be more the uh, practical. You know, they're, the producer has the final say, yes, no, or okay, we'll spend that money. And depending on whether or not they feel in their emotional body that this is actually going to be a hit and it's going to do way better than everybody rejected, we can we can breach the budget a little bit. Exactly. And sometimes you got to give a director one thing so you can, you know, whittle down the hopes and dreams on another thing. It's a it's always a negotiation. Now, to go a little bit further, describing those two camps, I sort of live in between those two camps. Mm. I'm sort of the liaison. The bridge. And yeah, sometimes I'll have meetings with those uh, those with the artistics creatives on, on in the morning, and then I'll go have a meeting with the bean counters in the afternoon, and then in the evening it's like, okay, here's what here's what we got going. Here's our problem. This is where we're misaligned because the people on the left they don't know what the things cost, and the people on the right sometimes can't see the vision. So I'm there to sort of shepherd them together into uh, compromise. Paint a picture of the difference between those two meetings. Oh, the first one could be done in about 15 minutes, but it takes about four hours. Uh, the second one. Why are needs... we all sitting in a comfortable position? Some are standing, some are sitting, some are stretching, some are... Uh, you know, like, like, let's paint the picture. Is there no organization to it? Is there no structure to the meeting? No. We're talking about the not, creative side of it. Yeah, no, that's, it's not that because I think a large part of my job is to organize the collective thoughts. And, but on the other hand, you know, I mean, some of these people, you know, the director's my boss, you know, like he, what the director says goes, in, in, in most ways. And sometimes it can be like, look, you just you can't do that. You're not going to get the money. And sometimes it's, hey, that's not safe. We're not doing that. Um, you know, so there's that dynamic. But part of my job is to organize that collective thought in the creative meetings. Uh, and, and every group of people is different. It's, it's you know, there are some visionaries who are really well organized, like mm -hmm. really they've got that that 
space-time continuum down, you know? Um, but typically, like I said, that meeting could take 15 minutes, but it takes four hours. And sometimes it's because we're spitballing ideas and we're coming up with new things and there's always stuff happening. And, you know, I, I think with those, again, that, that creative side, just around us, things are happening. Locations become available. There's a casting decision to be made. The costume designer has some questions and it's there's always stuff percolating around us. And when, as a creative type, I think when you get one thing going, it sparks another thing, which sparks another thing, which leads to another thing. Where on the other side, you know, the meeting could take four hours, should take four hours. And that's maybe an exaggeration, but should take longer. But we just want to get it done in 15 minutes because we just got to move on to the next thing. Let's go. Come on. Let's just put our noses down and say, yes, no, maybe uh, table it. Is that effective? The job always gets done. It's uh, it's different styles. It's different worlds. It's different mindsets, different mentalities and perspectives. It, and it must be fatiguing to bounce back and forth between those two very different worlds. It, it can be. Uh, I often find myself saying like, look, everybody, you don't have to make the right decision, but we do have to make a decision yeah. because we shoot in six days. Done is better than perfect. Done can be better than perfect because sometimes, you know, especially in the, we call it movie magic. We call it happy accidents, but sometimes uh, you don't need to have those things you thought you needed in order to paint some amazing picture on film. Sometimes you just go and it's like, wow, hey, this was pretty simple. We're shooting in the corner of a of a basement, and this is better than the mountaintop that we thought we had to use. Who hires the first assistant director? By DGA rules, the director gets to DGA is the Directors Guild of America, which is the union. Uh, the director gets first choice. If that first choice gets hired, but then it ends up not doing the project, then that that right of first choice goes away. Uh, and then technically the producer would. Now, a line producer would be uh, instrumental in that in negotiating the deal as you as it may be. Uh, there are set salaries per the DGA, but you can always negotiate above and beyond or, you know, you change your per diem. You know, I want a full size rental car. I'm, you know, I know, uh, again, rules, rules, rules. Uh, if you're going over a thousand miles, you get best available flight, which would be a first class seat. If it's 950 miles, it'd be like, come on, give me the first class seat. I know it's only 950, but I like turning left when I get on a plane. Interesting. So who would it be best that you're rubbing elbows with, networking with, staying connected with other directors, producers? Well, the general answer to that question is probably directors and producers, um, including the line producer. Everybody really. Um, you never know who's going to mention your name and, and yeah. get you a phone call in an interview. You really don't. Um, so, yeah, generally the, the the short answer is directors and producers. Uh, the the better answer is everybody. Now, my answer is I, I've never really been a networker, maybe to a fault, but I've never done that. I've just sort of I've gravitated toward the people that I like and respect, and who seem to like and respect me, and and that's who I share time with whether it's a random phone call or or you know a message of some kind or i love to mail people stuff that's a fun thing uh but but i've never done it in a way where i'm trying to get that next job trying to get that next job as many people do and i i get those calls and texts and you know they're not always just you know alms for the poor they're sometimes just hey brian how you doing and, and that's great but i've never really tried to network to get that next job. I've just been friendly with the people I became friendly with. And that's held me over for 
in this regard for uh, for nearly 30 years. So one of the things I remember um, sharing time with you at a local movie theater is I started to get up before the credits had rolled and you said, no, no, sit down, show the respect to all of the people who worked on this film way back before you were in film. My question is, what did it feel like when you first saw your name scroll through? Oh, that's great. We're such a funny business. You know, we put our names on it. Everybody gets their name on there. Listen, there's nobody who doesn't have an important job, you know, and I'm not decrying anybody, but like, okay, the parking lot security guy, his name's on there, you know, like it's, and it's, it's great, but it's kind of funny too. Now in the old days, in the seventies, you'd see, you know, just a few names. Before the movie started. Before the movie started, which I kind of like, I kind of like how they've come back to it. They've, they've, mm. Those rules have sort of changed. As a matter of fact, with Schindler's List, Spielberg didn't want opening credits. He wanted his director's credit at the end. But the DGA said, no, 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 director's last name before the movie starts. That's the rule currently. And he said, look, I want the opening to be clean. So I want my name first up. I don't know if he said first up, but after the movie ends anyway. And they made a change there. And that started something where now movies can kind of put them anywhere. Interesting. So it used to be uh, just a few names. and. Uh, um, and then it turned into everybody, you know, while they play two hit songs and, you know, 10,000 names scroll and I have no right. complaint or argument against it, but, you know, you look at a building and you think, well, you know, there's thousand people worked on that thing. Where are their names? You know, that's a pretty amazing thing. You get on an airplane. That's, I mean, I've seen some great movies, but no movie as amazing as an airplane, except maybe a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> So I remember the first time I saw your name come across the credits, I did not realize you had worked on the movie. And I think I called oh, really? you. Right away. Yeah. What was the name Don, of that movie? Don John. Don John. I'm not sure if I uh, am recommending it to all of the listeners. It was really dark and really interesting. And it kept me through the whole movie to the point where I saw the credits and I saw your name. And I said, oh, my goodness, I got to reach out to Cheswick and uh. let him know I saw that. That's fantastic. Uh, that's a good movie. I thought it was a really well-written script. It's a good movie. It, um, I didn't see as dark as maybe, you know, it's got some adult content to it, but it's really a, I don't know what the word is, humanitarian. That's not quite the right word, but it's got a, it's got a, it's, it talked about something that not many other movies talked about, you know, uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt did a good job. I thought it was a really impressive hunk of work. I'm, I'm proud to have worked on that thing. I bet. What are some of your other proud accomplishments? Uh, I'll tell you a story. There was this one particular actor. And uh, this is, boy, 15, 17, 18 years ago. There was this one particular actor. And uh, uh, he was shooting his last day. And his last day was was his death scene. Uh, the bad guy was meant to take a gun and shoot him in the face. So he had two shots. One looking up at the bad guy with the gun and you could see the entire gun in the shot. And then the other shot was looking down at the actor who was sitting on the floor and the gun comes in and, uh, uh, you know, points right in his face on camera. Now we were setting up to shoot the bad guy first and I stopped and I was like, Hey, uh, uh, he's got to go catch a plane. Why don't we shoot his shot first? Why don't we get him out of here? Right. And uh, and the actor came to me and stories like this. I don't want to n- mention names because I don't want to you know, impugn anybody who might be involved in the, in the production. 
but uh but you know who he is he's a he's a he's a everybody knows who he is in america okay. all men yeah. our age yeah <laughs> so we're shooting the shot of the bad guy and i say no, no no let's turn around let's do the other one first and so we do and then the uh armorer comes up with the gun now it's supposed to be cold as we say and of course this is a hot topic nowadays after the thing that happened in new mexico it's supposed to be cold has nothing nothing in it obviously no real bullets they're not allowed on set but no blanks or anything so it's supposed to be empty so the guy brings over the gun he shows it to me i call for the gun he shows it to me cold weapon i almost want to say but like hey 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 magazine show me the magazine he goes oh yeah one half load which means uh, like a half a half the gunpowder of a normal bullet but that'll still rip your nose off and he didn't realize we had turned around and did the other shot he just wasn't paying attention so by being a little diligent and checking that weapon all the way through it's little things like that by doing your job well by me doing my job well it, it can come down to can come down to life and death it really can so let me ask you this i, I know you weren't there in santa fe however being on a set where does that responsibility lay does it lay with the first assistant director to have double checked that it does there are two things to be said about this number one there was a live round on that set how that live round got there i i don't know a live round should never be on set uh, unless maybe there's an actual police officer there for whatever reason security or traffic or other things that's that's an exception but otherwise a live round within the uh, tools of the crew is just it's absolutely unheard of it's just, it's not a thing. Shouldn't be a thing. So there's that. And I can't blame the assistant director for that. Um, uh, now, I want to be careful. I, I wasn't there that day. Although, strangely, I was on a Zoom call with a producer on that set on that morning. Wow. I know it was a weird coincidence. But so this is how it goes. Uh, you call for the gun. The armorer brings it. Make sure the armorer understands what we're doing. And the armor should know that ahead of time. You kind of speak directly to each department and make sure that they're, you know, moving in the right direction, preparing for the shot that's coming in 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever. And that gun is brought and you check the gun with the armor there and you uh, make sure it is what it's supposed to be. Now, in the old days, that was enough. You just first AD would call it out and everyone just trusted that. And that worked pretty well for decades upon decades. When I was a young AD in the late 90s doing this for the first time, call it nervousness. You know, I was a little anxious about that safety concern. So, and I didn't start this trend by any means, but but I was like, does anybody want to look at this thing? You know, I made sure the actor who was holding it had a look. The actor who was getting pointed at had a look. Anybody else? Anybody else? Everyone can look at it. And of course, you know, 80 people didn't come up and take a peek. I think somewhere around seven, you know, people start going, well, if they don't see anything, I'm sure it's okay. And so that must be done before that gun. I don't even touch the gun. It doesn't go in my hands. But before that gun leaves the hand of the armorer and goes into anybody's possession, that has to be done. Now, I've heard stories about what happened in New Mexico. I don't want to comment on that. Uh, but um, uh, but it sure sounds like something went awry and... Uh, Anyway, that's the that's the responsibility of first AD. So, Brian, I mean, you're here on a podcast. You're sharing your stories. Totally appreciate that. Grateful. Love uh, sharing other people's journeys and what they're doing. What podcasts are you listening to right now? There's one podcast that I listen to from time to time, and I can't remember what they call it, but it's Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, 
and Sean Hayes. My favorite. Yeah, it's a great show. Smartless. That's it. Yeah. So I listen to that one for entertainment. That's my that's my entertainment. Every Monday morning, I know that they drop a new one and I listen and I laugh and I enjoy and I I find um, some of the inside baseball of Hollywood a little bit, right? So it's kind of what you're sharing here. They they share uh, openly about some of the entertainment, e magazine type of fun stuff. Um, that's a great that's a great podcast. Mondays every Monday, that yeah. one drops. I listen to uh, All In. I know you didn't ask me that. All In uh, on the weekends they drop one on Friday usually kind of finance focused, but really globally focused. Uh, and then of course I listen to the Dr. Joe show every Thursday, right, Tom, the Dr. Joe show. <laughs> I wanted to start my own podcast. Uh, uh, I was going to call it off camera cameo, which I like the title. And the idea is it would be me, the assistant director. There's a friend of mine who's a producer, another friend of mine, who's a composer for film and television. And then another guy who is a, uh, a road manager. I think he's out with Pat Benatar right now. Uh, Josh, Guy, and Ted, and I, and the idea would be be one hour, turn on the microphone. There's no topic. We just see if a topic comes. And then at exactly 60 minutes, it gets shut off. There's no clocks in the room, so you don't know where, when it's going to end. You could throw in a guest in there sometimes and, you know, it'd be, oh, it'd be swell if it were somebody famous and, and people would recognize the voice, but you wouldn't introduce them. You just start talking. We don't use our Fine names. Find the wall. Fly in the wall conversation. I like it. Now, what would it hold you back from doing it? Well, the four fellas that I, uh, the other three guys that I pitched it to, our schedules have been all over the place. That we all travel. All you need is an hour a week, right? Yeah, yeah. I bet, you can, I bet you can figure it out if it's something that you really want to do. I've been inspired in this last half hour, uh, last Good. hour. Or so. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. So it does require moving outside your comfort zone, though. And one of the comfort zone busters that I love to talk about that's universal for everyone is karaoke. Some people love it. Some people would rather have a root canal without Novocaine. But Brian, Cheswick, O'Sullivan, you're next on the mic. What are you singing? I'd rather have my lower intestines ripped out of my body than sing karaoke. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, really? Listen, I've got a great voice in the car, in the shower. I'm belting it, man. But the performance of it is just not my thing. It's just not. I, 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 and here's something else. There's only one thing worse than bad karaoke. Good karaoke. I agree. Yeah. Now, but if I had to, if I had to pick a song, Oh boy, you know, I haven't picked you one. You do. You have a gun against your head. It might be a cold one, but it might not be. So it's up against your head and it's saying, you're up next. What are you singing? And don't forget the crowd's there to support you, right? So <laughs> stage presence is important, but they're going to be there to help you along and help you finish. I, I have no squabbles about being mocked. Zero. I don't, I, I will go up there and remove my shirt and dance a dance. I don't care what people might say about me. I really don't. I'm, I, I think embarrassment is a, is a wasted emotion. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but um, uh, so that it's not that that keeps me from it. It's the lack of enjoyment that I would have doing it in that venue. Hmm. But I, do I have to pick a song? Is this required? Yes, you do. 
Okay, I can do it. And I like that wasted emotion. I, it's what something sticks with me from a long time ago that you mentioned to me, probably in the early nineties, about wasted emotions, worry right. and regret. Exactly. You said worry and regret are two wasted emotions, and that stuck with me for a very, very long time. So wow. don't regret not singing karaoke. What are you going to sing? I think I would sing "Wreck on the Highway" by Bruce Springsteen. Ah. That's an interesting one. Unique. I haven't heard anyone suggest that. I would have thought John Lennon for you. I, he was he was up there. I was thinking about the Norwegian wood. I've sang Imagine a couple of times. Funny, funny story, a little side note. Uh, so I enjoy karaoke a lot because I am a true believer in scare yourself. Like get that energy up, scare it, go through it, get through it. And there you go. And with the Dr. Joe show, which we mentioned on this, um, he and I would do that live in the radio. And there was a Chinese restaurant on Thursday nights that had karaoke. And our tradition was after the live show, we would go to the Ming and we would sing one song, have one drink, but you can never sing the same song twice. That's a great, that's a great plan. And it's about repetitions. And you find like the more you do it, you actually start to find your voice and he is classically trained. His kids are all classic, you know, uh, classically trained singers and musicians. And we went to his piano and to figure out what key I would be best suited to sing in, which I've never even thought about it. You know, I watched American Idol and yeah. understood key and pitch kind of, but he found that my key was C, which is also John Lennon's. So Interesting. imagine and and some of the other fun songs that he's sang. Um, I'll tell you something there I, for me. If if uh, if 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 somebody were to invite me to a one song one drink pop in pop out, I think I might say yes. I like that concept. It's a great concept. Karaoke is a wonderful concept. We actually did a show specifically on the psychology of karaoke. It's deep in the archives of the Dr. Joe show. We did it live at the Ming. Jeff Klein was there. Timmy, uh, I think, was probably 12 years old. He was on it. And, and then we had a big party uh, singing karaoke afterwards. And maybe we'll have to, if Dr. Joe, if you listen to this, maybe we'll have to do that one again. That was a lot of, that was a lot of fun. So, Brian, most important question of them all directors, producers, they're listening to this and they say, I'd like to engage this guy. How do they best find you? Beautiful monkey at hotmail.com. That's been my email address for 25 years, 26, seven years, something like that. Beautiful, Beautiful monkey, monkey at hotmail. I stand by hotmail. Say what you will, you Gmail younger generation. Hotmail is where it's at. <laughs> not Yahoo or AOL Hotmail? No, no, not Yahoo. You were cutting edge with Hotmail, though, because AOL was everything when the Hotmail popped out. And you're like, I'm going for the Hotmail. Yeah, so you were, yeah. You were, you were leaning in then. How about Beautiful Monkey? What, what's the genesis to that? So <clears throat> uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll reveal a little something about myself, as embarrassing as it may somewhat be. But uh, early in my career... I was doing a little bit of everything. And this is back in the mid, late 1990s. And there were there was so much production going on in Los Angeles. And this is before everybody started traveling to all these other states with tax incentives and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And uh, there was just so much work. So one week I'd find myself on a, on a children's movie, like say uh, 
the boy who stole Christmas, you know, and then another week I'd be on some action movie, like evasive action with Michael Dudikoff. And then another week I'd be working on, you remember those late night Skinamax movies? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not did really I a genre. That, anymore. Did I answer that too aggressively? Yeah. A little familiarity. <laughs> I was I was waiting for you to list off all your favorites, like you would. No, I don't know what channel was that on. <laughs> so there, there were these late night movies on Cinemax, and they were somewhat titillating, and you know they they, they were quite popular. Apparently, um, wasn't my cup of tea, uh, but like Red Shoe Diaries was a big deal. Um, but there was some, you know, like you know, cue the music, pan through the the lit candle or fireplace, and then people would be smooching on a couch, and you know. Maybe there's a little more than smooching, apparently, but it wasn't really happening. It was, it was, you know, they call it, uh, they call it erotic. So I worked on a, a bunch of those and uh, I was very pensive and I was like, oh God, what are people at home going to think of me? And, you know, then later I realized, you know, it's just movie making. It's all movie making. It's all the same in, in one way or another. And every genre is different as far as what I do for a living, but but it's really just movie making. We shot it on film. As a matter of fact, one of the guys who was our cinematographer on, on many of those movies was Orson Welles' cameraman. He shot everything in the last 15 years of Orson Welles' life. His name is Gary Graver. He's one of the, he's passed now. He's one of the, my favorite people that I've not just known in Los Angeles, but maybe ever. So I used the pseudonym back then. It was Nerb Navaluso. Now that's Brian and O'Sullivan backwards. Uh, and my email address at the time was Nerb Navaluso at AOL.com. So then I thought, well, I got to change that. I got to get off AOL and I come up with something else because I'm using the pseudonym. I'm trying to hide my identity on those movies. And here I am giving everybody my code word. And so I can clearly remember sitting at the, uh, at the desk and I'm like, what, what can I use? What can I use? And just think, 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 think. And it only took me like 25 seconds and I just came up with Beautiful Monkey. It just popped into my head. Now, number one, people remember it. Number two, people don't have to spell it. And number three, every time I say it to somebody, I get a nice little reaction, a nice little chuckle. Like it. And I like all three of those things. There are people who sort of nickname me Beautiful Monkey. It's not a bad little term. Not at all. You are a beautiful monkey. I'm trying. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. Thank you, Mark. This has been one of my favorite hours in a, in a good long time. This was lovely. That's uh, that's heartwarming. Folks, this has been another exciting episode of Elements of Styles. If you learned something, if you laughed, if you felt an emotion, if you thought of somebody, share this with them. In fact, share it with everyone. Have a great week, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice. 
or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.